Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome back to our second podcast on Ruth. We've been introduced to our two main female characters, Naomi and Ruth, and we've learned that they both are widows. Naomi is the mother-in-law to Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman, and she has followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to the land of Naomi's ancestors, which is in Bethlehem. Ruth knows no one and is therefore a foreigner. But despite this fact, she has promised Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Distances in the Bible. Well, they're often not referred to in literal miles, but instead, in terms of how far it takes someone from God. Moab is a mere 30 miles from Bethlehem across the desert. But honestly, it might well have been on the other side of the world for how different it was from Bethlehem. Whereas in Bethlehem, when they remembered to, they worshipped Yahweh, God. Conversely, the people of Moab worshipped a pagan god named Chamash. And those that followed Chamash made human sacrifices. Now, you might remember that the name Moab actually came from Abraham's nephew, Lot's son. Well, the sordid story is actually told in Genesis chapter 19, verses 37 through 38. And if you remember anything about Abraham and Lot, you remember that Lot got into a lot of trouble and his uncle Abraham always had to bail him out. Well, Lot had sex with his two daughters after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The children born out of this incest were named Moab and Ammon, A-M-M-O-N. Therefore, in the Bible, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they represent all that is evil and far from God. So, you might say as a metaphor, Moab represents the world. Remember, Naomi and her husband and her two sons They left the comfort of God in Bethlehem and went to this pagan land, Moab, where her sons married pagan Moabite women. And it's in Moab that we learn tragedy strikes and all three men die, leaving three grieving widows. Ben Godwin is a pastor and author And I love how he summarizes the widow's reaction to their situation. He says, quote, When tragedy strikes, we all have the same three options of how we can react. Number one, Naomi. 
the grieving widow. We can be like Naomi, who became so bitter in her grief that she blamed God for her misfortunes and insisted that her friends call her Mara, which meant bitter, instead of her real name, Naomi, which meant pleasant. She complained how she went out full, but God brought her back home empty. Her perspective was now distorted by her pain. Number two, Orpah, the leaving widow. We can be like Orpah, who kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went back to her people and to her idols, thinking that changing her situation would somehow remove her problems. Well, running from our problems never solves them. And then there's number three, Ruth, the cleaving widow. The third option is to cling to all we know is right and good, even when life isn't fair or doesn't make sense. Naomi told Ruth to turn back to Moab like her sister, but instead she clung to her mother-in-law. And then, of course, she spoke the most inspiring lyrics of love and loyalty that are still used in some wedding vows today. Unquote. I really enjoyed the way this author describes our three options. Grieving, leaving, or cleaving. And we're going to see in our story that when we cling to all that we know is right and good, it will be well with our soul, even when life doesn't make sense. When we left our story, we found Ruth ready to do whatever she could to survive. And she decided to glean a barley field that we also have discovered is owned by a man named Boaz. His name literally means in him is strength. And we learn that this Boaz is a relative of Naomi from the clan of her late husband, Elimelech. Now remember this because this fact is going to be very important in our story. And also I want you to recall that it was the law to leave ungathered food at the edges of the fields for the poor and the widows to gather. So we're going to pick up our story of Ruth chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Unquote. Well, do you see what's going on here? What's just happened is not pure happenstance. Boaz, the owner of the field, has just promised our young widow Ruth protection. This is huge. 
This story continues, starting at verse 10 through 13. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants, unquote. We see that Ruth's behavior has earned her a good reputation. Remember, she's a stranger in a strange land, but rather than expecting a handout, she is displaying the admirable qualities of loyalty, faithfulness, and hard work. Ruth has begun to rebuild her life for herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi, by gleaning in the fields of a rich landowner named Boaz. This was no mere coincidence. I actually love this quote by Albert Einstein, of all people. He says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, unquote. Remember the definition I gave you in our previous podcast for coincidence? What occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. This was obviously the hand of God because Boaz, we're going to find out, is a kinsman of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. What happens next in our story is that Ruth is then invited to dine with Boaz. And Boaz, out of the blessing of abundance, asks his own workers to let some grain fall on her path so she can gather it in addition to gleaning the edges of the field. Listen to the kindness Boaz shows Ruth. This is chapter 2, starting at verse 15 through 16. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaths and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her, unquote. Boaz is going way beyond what the law requires. The Bible tells us that at the end of that day, Ruth gathers enough barley that weighs perhaps as much as 50 pounds. So, of course, when she comes home, her mother-in-law can't believe how much she collected that day. And so she's going to ask a lot of questions. This starts at verses 19 through 23. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen 
redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law, unquote. Are you familiar with this term, kinsman, redeemer, or some translations might say guardian, redeemer? Well, this is a relative who volunteers to take responsibility for the extended family. When a husband died, the law in Deuteronomy 25 said that a widow could marry a brother of her dead husband. But remember, Naomi has no more sons for Ruth to marry. So in that case, under Jewish law, the nearest relative to the deceased man could become what's called a kinsman redeemer and marry the widow. However, the nearest relative does not have to marry the widow, which I guess is a good thing if you're a guy. So if the kinsman redeemer chooses not to marry the widow, then the next in line could take his place and marry the widow. But if no one chooses to help the widow by marrying her, she's pretty much destined to a life of poverty. And this is because in the Israelite culture, inheritance is passed on to the son or the nearest male relative, not to the wife. So that is why to help this situation, you have the gleaning laws and these kinsmen redeemer laws. Under Mosaic law, it's the duty of the next kinsman to marry his relative's widow. And this would protect and support her and also raise children with her. So his relative's name would live on in posterity. But that's not all. There's also some other responsibilities for a kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25 says they're responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. And then Numbers 35 says, and this is so interesting, they're responsible to be the avenger of blood. Ooh, and that is to make sure the murderer of a family member answers to the crime. Leviticus 25 again says, they're responsible to buy back family land when it's been forfeited. And then Deuteronomy 25 again says, they're responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. So in essence, this kinsman redeemer is responsible to safeguard the person, the property, and the posterity of the family. You can see this was a pretty big responsibility. So you'll also understand why not everyone is like, ooh, pick me, ooh, pick me. However, if Boaz does not fulfill this duty towards Elimelech, then the direct family and the name of Elimelech would perish because there's no children. Perpetuating the family name is a very important duty. Quite honestly, I think these protections are quite beautiful and they definitely show how important it was to God to preserve the institution of the family. We're beginning to see in our story that what Ruth has going for her is her character. 
Interestingly, we're not told anything about what she looks like. Isn't that refreshing? In a male-dominated Middle Eastern culture, we're going to learn that what captures the eye of this wealthy man, Boaz, is Ruth's personality and her character, her kindness for her mother-in-law, and her desire to work hard. Well, let's see what happens next. We're now in chapter three, and we're going to look at verses one through five. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then, go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do, unquote. What is happening here? Well, first, let's talk about the threshing floor. We have discussed this in other podcasts. Remember, it's a place where the grain is separated from the harvested wheat or barley. The pig stalks are crushed, and you can either do this by hand, or sometimes they might use oxen. And the inner kernel, which is the good stuff, is separated from the chaff, which is the bad stuff, the outer shell. And the threshing floors would usually be located outside of the village on an elevated piece of land. And this is so the wind can blow away the lighter chaff when the crushed grain is thrown up into the air. And you remember that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was once a threshing floor. So in our story, we have Boaz, and he's sleeping next to the threshing floor. Well, this makes a lot of sense because remember this story takes place during what we call the time of Judges. And during this time, there was much political and social instability in Israel. So it wasn't unusual for gangs of thieves to come and steal all that hard-earned grain a farmer had grown. So Boaz sleeping on the threshing floor is practical. He's going to guard his crops. And also, you harvest during the day. You thresh at night. Multiple people will be using this threshing floor. So you sleep until it's your turn. Now, I know this seems very weird to us, what Naomi has described for Ruth to do. But I want to assure you, this is not a sordid activity. Naomi is telling her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to clean herself up and to lie down at Boaz's feet. Well, this bizarre behavior is actually acting according to Israelite custom and law. Naomi is not pimping out her daughter-in-law. It's actually quite the opposite. 
It was customary for a servant to lie down at the feet of their master and even share a piece of their blanket. So by doing this humble act of laying at Boaz's feet, Ruth is letting Boaz know she's open to the idea of marriage because Naomi has told her to change her clothes, which means change out of your mourning clothes. And this is an act of true humility. It's basically a business transaction. At this point in our story, this is not romantic, it's pragmatic. And traditionally, in Eastern culture, to spread a skirt over someone is symbolic denoting protection. And to this day, in many parts of the East, to say that someone has put his skirt over a woman means that he married her. And I actually recently attended a Jewish wedding. And as part of the ceremony, the bridegroom puts a cloak over his wife. It's actually beautiful. We actually find this idea used in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, when God is talking about his relationship to Israel. Quote, I spread my wing over you, unquote. Isn't that beautiful? Now, remember Ruth is not Jewish. And so what Naomi is telling her to do probably sounds as bizarre to Ruth as it does to us. But Ruth follows her mother-in-law's advice because she knows Naomi has her best interests in mind. Naomi is trustworthy and filled with moral integrity. Aren't you anxious to find out what happens next? Chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor, unquote. 
Did you notice that this event happened at midnight? This must have actually been an amazing scene. I think we can well imagine Boaz was indeed startled, waking up in the night as he turns in his sleep, knowing that someone's out there, but not being able to see clearly because of the darkness. And remember the whole point of him sleeping near the threshing floor is to protect his crop from thieves. What must he have been thinking when someone brushed against him? Can't you almost imagine that he reaches for a weapon? But then his shock, well, it quickly turns to wonder when he finds out that his midnight visitor is a woman. Well, we learn a lot about Boaz's integrity from this little encounter. First, Boaz is respectful towards Ruth. Instead of Boaz calling Ruth an immodest woman for laying herself down at his feet or being shocked at the audacity of a poor widow asking marriage of him, or instead of being super angry with her disturbing and frightening him half to death in the night, what does he do instead? He blesses her and he prays to God to bless her and to prosper her. And in a kind and loving manner, he calls her daughter. What we also learn from this little interaction is Boaz must have already done some investigating about marrying Ruth. Did you catch that? Because he knows there's another relative who's more closely related to her father-in-law than he is. And did you notice how deeply affected by the fact that Ruth, a young woman, would be interested in an older man like himself? He's so impressed by the fact that Ruth is honoring her dead husband by approaching a relative instead of showing interest in a younger stranger. It's likely Boaz is closer to her deceased father-in-law's age than to her own. And theologians surmise this because he calls her daughter. So we see Boaz is very struck at Ruth's desire to honor family tradition, maybe even at the expense of her own desires. But also note, Boaz doesn't immediately claim Ruth as his own, which means this guy is trustworthy and righteous. He knows the right thing to do is to first approach that other family member who is more closely related to Ruth's father-in-law before he takes her hand in marriage. Although, just know, legally, he does have the right to force himself upon Ruth as her kinsman redeemer, but he doesn't do this. He wants to get it right. And as pointed out before, this interaction shows something wonderful about Ruth. She, at this point, has based her attraction on Boaz more on respect than on image or appearance. Tragically, many people fall in love with an image or an appearance rather than a person they can truly respect. How moving 
Boaz told her, all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz is attracted to Ruth because of her character. Again, we don't know what Ruth looked like, but we know she's a woman of godly character. In fact, the literal translation of what Boaz calls her is a hail woman, H-A-H-Y-I-L. And the Hebrew meaning is strength, moral strength, good quality, integrity, virtue. And this is the same word used for heroes in the Bible a mighty man of valor, of hail. Just as courage and strength make a man a hero, Ruth's courage and strength shown in her virtue make her a hero. A Proverbs 31 kind of hero. Now, I'm going to do a future podcast on the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible has all of the books that we have in our Old Testament, but they're arranged in a different order. This is significant because right after the book of Proverbs is the book of Ruth. Specifically, when you read Proverbs 31, you then start to think about a woman of virtue, and then the next book in their Bible is the book of Ruth. We're going to leave our story here today. Let's think again about what we've learned so far about Boaz and Ruth. Ruth caught Boaz's eye early in our story, but we know what attracted him to her was her character. Boaz praised Ruth openly, not for her beauty, but her character and her integrity. Remember, Ruth is new to faith. She did not grow up believing in God, and yet consider her godly character. I want to leave you with a portion of Proverbs 31. And as I read through this, I want you to think about this character, Ruth. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, 
She has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Thank you so much for listening to studentofthebible.com. If you liked what you heard, why not suggest this website to others and like me on Facebook, Student of the Bible. Have a blessed day and look for opportunities to be a blessing to others.